0: I think the way you can introduce me is just say that I'm Eugene Kim. You met me through November Project, and I'm someone who is passionate about helping connect people.
1: I think you just introduced yourself. Perfect. Yay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Winners never quit, and quitters never
1: win. Quitters win all the time. Let us show you how on Quit Happens. Hey, everyone. Lynn Marie here. Thank you so much for joining me again on this episode of Quit Happens. Today we have with us Eugene Kim. He is co-leader of the November Project, which I will let him explain in a second, and overall inclusivity, community type builder, and we will include some chit-chat about those words later. Eugene is an overall awesome guy, and I think he's going to have a lot of insight into quits that will be really helpful for a lot of you. So thanks for coming, Eugene.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm stoked to be here.
1: Awesome. Okay, we met recently through November Project. And before we get any further, let me have you explain for the people what that is.
0: Sure. So at face value, November Project is a free fitness group. It started in Boston as a bet between two guys that they would get together and work out every single day uh, for the month of November, just as an in an effort to get fit again and to stay active. And they called it their November Project. It has since spread to 45 different cities across the world. And uh, in San Diego, we are one of the top, f- one of the first five, I believe. We meet twice a week, work out together and give each other hugs and high fives. And once you come show up to the workout, you recognize that it's a little more than just a workout group and it ends up being a little bit of a culty family vibe where you're meeting some awesome like-minded people and uh, making some friendships and yeah, it becomes a little bit of a community, if you will.
1: I like it. This is the first person to use culty in a positive light. <laughs> totally dig it. Up. I mean, second, because I definitely called Capoeira culty the other day, but in the best possible way. Yeah, for <laughs> like sure. Like the once you're in, you don't want to get right. out. Right. It's
0: all the good things about a cult, you know, the community aspect, the activities, um, the friendships and uh, the connections you make, and uh, less of the religious aspect where you've got someone who believes in aliens and then um, everyone drinks Kool-Aid and dies. So. <laughs>
1: um, and just so people know, it is at 6.29 a.m. Right. On Mondays and Wednesdays. Wednesdays are always at Balboa Park Balboa Park Is that called the B It's the
0: B Evanson Fountain It's in between The Natural History Museum And uh, the Ruben Fleet Science Center
1: And then Mondays Alternate In different locations And if you want to find out where Go to November Project SD On Facebook Uh The best place And they can also go to the blog Which is Um,
0: Yeah Oh Instagram is good too At November Project SD All one word Um, So Instagram and Facebook Are the best channels By which you can Figure out where we are
1: Cool Okay. So Eugene is not just a November Project co-leader. He also leads some hikes and we connected on a full moon meditation hike. Mm -hmm. And after which I friended him on Facebook and then I got nosy and I went through some blog posts I found on his Facebook. And this is why he's here with us today because he wrote a specific article about a, let's call it a shift. Eugene and I've been talking about whether or not you categorize something as a quit or a pivot, but at least there was a shift in mindset. Sure. Would you mind telling me what that blog
0: post was about? Um, sure. I think you're probably referring to the latest one that I wrote. So I've maintained this, um, I mean, it's kind of a blog. It's a Facebook page. It's called, um, it's actually called Diary of an Asshole. And uh, it's uh, chronicling a little bit of my journey through different, um, I guess, those mindset shifts and pivots that I've made from living kind of the corporate culture and having aspirations of being rich and having um, fancy titles and all that good stuff to kind of where I am today, which is I like to think of myself as someone who you know lives in service of others and um, trying to build communities and doing more of that kind of stuff, like helping facilitate connections, inspiring people and getting people to um, be a little more active and seeking their own happiness. The latest blog post I wrote, wrote was in regards to my current mindset now. And I genuinely uh, can say with 100% certainty that who I am at this moment in time is the happiest I've ever been in my life. And that post in particular was outlining some of the things that I have learned and kind of pinpointing what those those variables were that have helped me get to where I am today. And so in particular, a lot of it had to do with being more confident and comfortable in my own skin, being more comfortable in my own time, right? And so a lot of that has to do with things like relationships where, you know, my best friend uh, just got married this past June. And... Was it July it was July, oh my God, Teddy, don't kill me for listening and he is one of the last of many uh, couple friends who are now all married or have children and um and so coming from the northeast, a lot of the I come from very more traditional values of okay, well. You graduate college and you get into a relationship and then you have to get married and have kids and then buy a house and make sure you have two cars and making a certain amount of money and putting a certain amount away for your 401k and then retiring at 65. And then like all of those values of success and um, traditional kind of societal metrics of what that looks like. Anyway, I digress. So being comfortable in my own skin, um, being comfortable that I'm not in a relationship. And honestly, that that's not a priority for me right now. Um, also not taking things too personally and just generally those types of factors, right. Um, how my mindset has shifted and what are those factors that are contributing to my current state of happiness?
1: I love it. Uh, I think in the post, one of the things that struck me, and I don't think that you were talking to a therapist, it was maybe a friend Mm -hmm. that like. Maybe there was like a list that was, what do you think you want? And then a list of what you enjoy doing.
0: Right. Yeah. So that was uh, with my friend, uh, Sherry Matthews. Um, She's actually local to San Diego. She's a big running coach, um, you know, a corporate wellness instructor. Um, Does a lot of goal setting and kind of more intention setting uh, coaching as well. And so she and I spent some time uh, sitting down and she took me through this exercise of writing on one piece of paper. um, What were my goals? And then on the other side of the paper, writing down what I was passionate about. And that was the big epiphany moment where that my goals, which some of them were, um, I think I listed on the blog post, um, you know, I wanted to buy a house by the time I was 35. I wanted to be married um, by by the time I was 30. I wanted to be a VP by the time I was 27. I wanted to make, um, you know, six figure income by the time I was uh, 26. I mean, there uh, there were these goals that I had very clearly outlined in my head. Um, but then at that moment, which was, I think two years ago now, when I wrote down the things I was passionate about, it was more, much more about connecting people and honestly fitness and helping other people be happier and the better and better versions of themselves, that type of stuff, which I think, you know, a lot of those quote unquote passion points that I've listed out are very played out, but I mean, generally, those are the things that make me feel strong and where I um, drive a lot of uh, my own personal growth Um, is from being able to contribute to to something like that. But that was a big thing where I couldn't draw lines between what my goals were and what I was passionate about. So it really helped me rethink, oh shit, well, what am I doing with my life? (laughs) Um, Did
1: did she ask you at all? Did she have you examine the why behind your goals?
0: mm, Yeah, she did. And a lot of it was just kind of, that's how I had always looked at, I mean, I was always looking at what was my five-year plan. And I was never really good at outlining those things, but it was just because of, uh, I think, the environment in which I was brought up and also um, where I'd been living before. I mean, again, I just call back to the Northeast, but having lived in Boston and worked in Boston in the corporate world for so long, um, you're naturally surrounded by very hungry, career-oriented people who measure themselves by those measures of success that society would deem, oh, so-and-so is like well off or they're doing well in these areas. Um, not to say that those are necessarily wrong, they're just not aligned with my values. And so that I think that was the big driver was I just always had these measures of what was successful in my head and had never really let go of those until I had sat down and actually gone through this exercise and recognized, okay, well, those have changed. So what am I going to do about that?
1: Was there something that you actually had to do at that point, maybe mindset-wise or doing some personal growth work? I can't imagine that it's just like easy to one day up and drop those goals. Right. Just
0: <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I had to rewrite those goals, and that was hard because I didn't know what they were. I knew what I was passionate about, but I didn't know. Well, what is the end goal? To what you know? To uh, you always think like to what end am I pursuing these passions or opportunities? And I can't necessarily say that I'm, I'm even there right now. Since then, I've gone through this, this journey, this mindset journey, and this personal kind of transformation, if you will, Or um, I was already well you know, down the path of this personal transformation. But yeah, even still today, I can tell you the things that um, I'm striving towards, but I can't tell you that I have an ultimate goal of what I want to build or bring to this world. Um, I think a lot of it is, you is know, I'm just focusing on the journey and ensuring that I'm on the right path. Towards being a better human being and helping others be better human beings, but yeah, I think that's kind of the, that's been one of the the most eye opening things from that process was recognizing that I need to refocus on what those goals look like and what those goals are.
1: And I think this brings up something maybe our listeners can identify with. You don't necessarily have to have a goal mm-hmm. to be on the right path. Right. You know what your passions are. Following your passions may eventually lead you to mm-hmm. the development of some goal. But it's not as though you're directionless without it. Sure. An important quit is to maybe quit putting the pressure on yourself to come up with those goals and right. thinking that like, oh, without it, you know, what what's my guidance here? Mm-hmm. You know, you know what your guide, like your your inner compasses help people connect, help mm-hmm. people find themselves, and as that develops over time, I think that's almost more organic than saying like, okay, by age thirty five, I hope November Project has five hundred people, right. and I hope they're all self actualized. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah, sure. it's it's a lot more fluid and forgiving Mm -hmm. to just say, hi, I'm doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And what comes of it is what will naturally come of it. It's, It's whatever is supposed to come of it is probably what will come of it. Right.
0: For sure. I think the other thing about goals is that, I mean, the definition of goals is just also, it transcends time almost. Right. And so you can set those goals of five years out or by 35 or, you know, by whenever I want these things to happen. But, um, you know, for me, I can tell you what my goals look like this year. And I can tell you what my my what I call my BHAG or big, hairy, audacious goal that I want to achieve by the time I'm, um, you know, before I'm dead, what that may look like, but what's in between. And I think that's where there's a lot of flexibility to understand that. I mean, you have a moral compass and just a general sense of where you should be going, um, but you don't necessarily need to outline, okay, well, these are my 2018 goals. And then by 2020, this is what I want to be. And then um, by 2025, I'm going to have these things done. Certainly some people can not do that and that's how a lot of people operate, but, You know, for me, it's always just been, okay, last year was great. How can I make this year better? It's funny because as we were starting to record, I was thinking about how this podcast is all about quitting and starting to recognize that my entire life has been shaped by quitting along the way, if you will. Many people look at quitting as failure and failure means that you are done or have been unsuccessful. But um, having had so many conversations with people who have quote unquote quit and failed, Um, how those are more growth opportunities. And it's not so much quitting as it is, you know, pursuing other opportunities or creating space for something else. Yeah, it's just incredible how this journey has like just completely shifted my mindset around these traditional or more socially rounded ways of looking at those topics. You know, it's funny because even just earlier, I was having a conversation with someone about how I quit my corporate job and went and pursued my passions and they're like, Oh, that's really awesome. And I was like, Oh yeah, but I'm back in the corporate world now because I wasn't making money. Um, so I like to tell people that in my life I've, I've been constantly overcorrecting and I'm slowly like reaching that asymptote where I'm, I'm okay. Like I'm, I'm narrowing in on that, on that pinpoint, but it's okay for me to fall off the edge every once in a while. and recognize, okay, I've, Gone too far this way, or gone too far another way, and so in that way, I, I live on the extremes a lot. And twenty seventeen was one of those years, and this year I can see myself making my way back towards center in certain areas. But I am also excited because I know in other areas there are going to I am going to be reaching some of those extremes, and I am interested to see um, where that takes me next year, right, um, or the year after that. That's the thing about goals is. I think for many people, they need that structure. But for me, I've always just kind of been going with the flow, but still keeping clear steps ahead of me. If
1: yeah, that makes sense. it totally does. Yeah. I've never had like a five-year or 10-year plan and people have been very surprised when they hear that. Yeah. And I was like, well, when I was 20, I was a multimedia designer. Mm-hmm. You think, do you think somebody would be like, in 10 years, are you going to be a doctor? And I'd be like, no. Yeah, right. yeah are you crazy? And then 10 years yeah. after they can be a lawyer? Nope. Like none of those things that I am or things right. that I would have thought, you uh-huh. know, like, so why try to you know like life has dictated Mm -hmm. through strategic quitting and through whatever other coincidences and and the universe etc has led me to Mm -hmm. it's all just worked out how it is and for example i like how you brought up the timelines don't work for everybody and sometimes i think they could work against you the book that i have that's coming out everybody's like oh i know what you've been doing this last year you've been writing a book what they don't know is it was written by january of last year Mm -hmm. but instead of spending last year getting it out I got a second job working in digital media for a nonpartisan election performance. Was I going to turn that down because I had to do the? No. I was like, the book will be there. Let me work on this. This opportunity has come up now. You know, no reason to stick to some rigid schedule. It all comes down to the fact that nobody is sitting there with a scorecard in the sky. Like, oh, did he do it by when he said he's going to do it? Right. You know, nobody. At the end of the day, you only have to deal with your own happiness and your own satisfaction. And do you feel good about where you are at the end of that year? Yeah. And I also love how you brought up how you unquit. And I remember when I first asked you to be on the podcast, I think you thought I was talking about your corporate job quit, which I didn't know about. Sure. Because you you were like, does it count? Because I I unquit or maybe you quit dramatically or something like that. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I was just listening to this woman this morning Mm -hmm. on a side hustle show and she was talking about how she had quit seeing, actually she had stopped seeing some types of Mm -hmm. of clients and stopped giving retreats. and, And I had commented that, oh, she's got some quits. And she said, well, they're not really quits because I may go back to them later. And again, it all comes down to semantics, but no quit means quit forever or you can't come back to it. Right. And that's part of what I advocate in quitting is like, don't burn a bridge while you're quitting because you may want to come back. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I still think it counts as a quit is you had to go through all the mental fears and processing when you went through it the first time, like when you were going to leave your corporate job, right? Like, did you have any fears or mm-hmm. pressures from the outside or anything? Yeah,
0: um, I definitely had fears of, uh, you know, long term, what what it would look like. Um, on my resume, for example. Should I fail in this venture to pursue something different and needed to go back, would that be detrimental to my um my marketability, right? Um so that was a big one. Um finances were huge. And uh just in general too. I mean, I was leaving and not necessarily burning bridges. It's not like I walked out with two middle fingers, like I gave them a month long notice and I told them, like, you know, no hard feelings, but this just isn't the right fit. Um, But knowing that inevitably, like I was going to be burning some bridges, um, you know, would that necessarily come back to uh, come back and and bite me in the ass and hurt me over the long term? I mean, there were a lot of like those things running through my head, but uh, but I was very much in a position where I just needed to get out. I mean, it was I was just at my wits end. And uh, and I what I always struggle with with that whole situation is and I, I think about this very often is what could that Job and that time, that one year and eight months I spent at that company, um, what could that have looked like if I was the person who I am today? Because frankly, I mean, when I was in that position, I was younger, less mature in the sense that I wasn't very open minded to other opinions. I was very arrogant and I lacked a humility and a patience to have made that work for myself. So I think I took a very entitled, Position or mindset when I was there of, well, this company sucks and the people here are shitty. And so it's just not a good fit for me. But I seldom looked within myself to, well, what have I done everything I could have to make this the best possible situation it could have been? So I often think about that. And that is to this day one of the things I think about because I was making great money. They allowed me a lot of flexibility. And these are things that now in retrospect, because hindsight is twenty twenty, as they say, I know and uh, and think back and think, oh, well, if I if I was a little less arrogant and if I gave people a little more benefit of the doubt and met people halfway on their opinions or whatever it was, could I have been there for two years or three years? Could I have avoided that two-year period where I burned through all of my savings and struggled a little bit financially and took on some debt and had to... Um, kind of figure some stuff out. And, and then would I be in a very different place today? But again, I mean, that's where I remind myself, okay, I'm in this process of overcorrecting so that I, I can f- find where that where that razor's edge is and, and have to stay on that.
1: Yeah. Because you're doing exactly what strategic quitting requires is that you've learned from your quits. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, you've like, okay, we can't throw everything out. Let's just throw some of the aspects out right. and next time. And so now you're saying at some point, and I don't know how recently this was. So you did the corporate thing Mm -hmm. and then were you freelancing? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. So I did the corporate thing and then I went and worked for a small startup before they went under. then from there I went full freelance for a while, but it was about a year and a half that I I went and did freelance. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: And how, what was the process like in quitting freelancing, which is essentially like you said, the overcorrection, I've done the same thing. I think, okay, this is definitely not working for me. Like multimedia. Mm -hmm. I thought I really cannot just stare at three screens all day long. I need to work with people. And then I went into medicine, and I was like, "Oh, not this much people." Like, right, sure. and I totally get it. So when you, you know, say overcorrected and went totally for yourself, mm-hmm. and you had and decided to come back to working for somebody else, were there any fears associated with that, or mm-hmm. or regrets or anything that you had to work through?
0: Yeah, there was. As a part of my my first overcorrection, if you will, when I left my first corporate job and went working for the startup and then went freelance, um, I enjoyed the flexi- this newfound flexibility and free time too much to the point where, and any good freelancer and someone who does any contract work will, will tell you, I mean, it's a grind. It's in many ways harder than doing full-time corporate work. Um, and so that's what I was lacking. You know, I said, oh, I'm going to go work out literally three times a day, go running in the morning and then do a studio class in the mid-afternoon and then, um, I'm going to go to yoga in the evening. And then in between that, I'm going to be making my meals, doing chores, and then maybe doing an hour and a half of work. And so I'd say that one of the things I often think back to is, well, I didn't give it a fighting chance. Um, I wasn't hustling the way I should have to make it work. It's, and I fully understand. So that was an reflection.
1: Was there any thought in your head that mm-hmm. anyone who was proud of you for leaving the corporate world may be less proud that you're going back? Is that ever a concern or at this point were you luckily at the place where you just didn't care?
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would say it was more the latter. But then as far as the way other people think of me, um, you know, they always say, what, ha- what happened? It's like, well, oh, I wasn't making enough money. I just kind of like dilly-dallied and um, worked out too much and spent money and didn't really change my lifestyle, which was idiotic of me in the first place. But that's because I didn't plan for my quit. Um, I just came to my woods end. I was like, no, I get a couple months of runway. I can make this happen. But sure enough, I needed that runway disappeared under me very quickly, and so um, you know I was never in a situation where people were judging me for oh well he tried this and failed or um, you know he's kind of like going back on his uh, on his you know what he said was his passions or you know what he was working towards you know I think a lot of people understood that I'm I'm on this journey and um, and you you take some turns and that's just kind of how it is.
1: Yeah, I, that's exactly what I was trying to get at because yeah. we were talking about the difference between quitting and failing. Right, yeah. And a lot of times it's how you view it. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody said you failed because you didn't make any money and you just were not at the level mm-hmm. and and I dig that you went back and you examined why it didn't work out. Yeah. Perfect for strategic quitting, you know. Mm-hmm. And did you were you able to just do it on your own or were you working with the coach like you said you mm-hmm. you talked with Sherry yeah. on Other issues, but was this mostly just self-examination?
0: A lot of it was. Honestly, you know, I can't say that it was exclusively self-examination. Certainly, I looked at a lot of people who have been doing this and have failed. And, you know, people like Sherry are people who have inspired me and and shared their own stories and helped me um, understand how that should work. Um, My roommate, Jeff, he is someone who's got many aspects of his life very dialed in. And for him, it's taken him, you know, the better part of a decade to kind of dial in these systems and ways in which he's kind of maintained his financial well-being, his, um, you know, his happiness and professionally where he is. And so even through many conversations with him in understanding how he's gone to where he is, like, I've been able to pick things up. Um, what's interesting about this journey is as I've talked to more people and picked up some tips and tricks, if you will, or, you know, mindsets along the way. I start having these epiphany moments that there's never a one size fits all. And it's funny because everyone's saying, oh, you should read this book. Because like the way this person approaches this problem is so fantastic. Like everyone should be doing this. And then you meet someone else who reads something about the opposite opinion or whatever it is. I mean, that's, I think, something that's been so crucial to where I am today and how I've been able to, by my own measures, be successful is being able to pick up what other people how other people have found their success and what's worked for other people. But then understanding that that may not work for me. And so I've tried a lot of different stuff and I'm finally at a point now where I think I'm starting to get closer to my own system and how it works for me. And while we can sit here and record podcasts like this and do interviews and you know people can learn from my story or not you know i think what's what's important what a big takeaway is that you really just need to figure it out for yourself and so it's kind of like the goal conversation we just had earlier some people can operate with that two three five ten year plan i'm also someone who has never had that i mean i've had some goals like i mentioned earlier of wanting to be a vp by 27 and having a house by 35 and like those kinds of measures but i have friends who are so dialed in they know exactly where they're going to be by 2020. And they, along the way, have met all of those goals. I just can't operate that. It's too restricting for me. My journey has been a series of so many circumstances where I've very quickly recognized that the universe is going to take me where I'm supposed to be. And uh, if you will bear with me for a second. I mean, I do this sometimes where, (laughs) you know, sometimes I'll sit at home and enjoy you know, smoking a little bit. (laughs) And um, I'll get to a point where I'll open up a notebook and... I go through this, this thought exercise of tracing the decisions I've made in my life or the pivots that have happened out of my control that have led me to where I am today and the connections that I've made and and how I've gotten to be where I am. And it always starts with college. I went to base college, but that was my sixth choice. I didn't get to my top four. My fifth, I had, I was ready to put a deposit down. But at the end of the day, they just didn't give us enough financial aid and so I didn't go. Um, so I ended up at Bates College and I could not have been happier. You know, I can't imagine if I had gotten, to, gotten into Dartmouth, my first choice, what that would have looked like, or if I went to Harvard, um, or if, you know, NYU did give me a little more money and I ended up in New York City. God, like, what would I, have, who would I have become if I had those kinds of experiences? And then I think about, um, you know, having gone to Bates and then deciding that I didn't want to go to medical school. I mean, if I'd gone to NYU, they've got a great program that feeds directly into the medical school, school, I could have become a doctor. I went to Bates, and the experience I was having going to a liberal arts college and experiencing all these different interests led me to make the decision that medicine wasn't the right field for me. And through the connections I made through the alumni network at Bates, I ended up at, you know, my first advertising agency. And then as I got into advertising, you know, eventually those connections led me to Brogan as a client, not even necessarily through November Project. And that connection then um, eventually, you know, as I built my career, I came out to San Diego and I was at a crossroads where at the time I was shopping for rings for my girlfriend of three years and we're looking at buying apartments together. And this is an interesting situation where one of my life goals has kind of led me down this journey, 26 years old. And I had an interview with this company to be the director of their social media department to um, essentially like build out that department, right? From scratch. Um, And it was a big opportunity to like run a department at 26 years old, you know, helping them in uh, with some some of the biggest clients in the industry. And I was like, fuck yeah, of course I'm going to take that. But I've got a girlfriend, and we're looking at buying apartments, and I have a quote for a ring. And there were a lot of decisions I had to make at that point in time. And when I finally made the decision to come out to San Diego. I mean, she actually followed me out here. I had hit a milestone where, you know, it was in a VP position, but a director level position in a company that didn't have VP titles. I was like, okay, this is aligning with my goals. Oh man, I was so unhappy. And eventually the relationship ended, which I think is a net positive. So I took the job, moved out here. And nine months after I moved here, someone asked me, uh, have you heard of November Project? I'm like, yeah, if I ever heard of November Project? Of course I know the founder, come on. Um, So I went out and I went to my first workout in May of 2014. And just, I remember being so jaded and going there and everyone was super happy and kind of weird. And it had a little bit of that, okay, there's no way you're actually this happy or nice. What's going on here? But when I started to surround myself with people who were genuinely happy where they were, didn't have any of those, not to say they didn't, but a lot of people you know, didn't live their life uh, motivated by money or being at a certain level by a certain time or whatever those kind of factors were or those measures of success as you would traditionally think is like kind of the American dream. And surrounding with more people like that um, has helped shift my mindset and think about what I truly value. And it turned out I didn't actually give a shit about my title or managing teams or making a ton of money. and. When those things started to fall apart under me, I was left in this place where, okay, well, I've got this job that's paying me a lot of money, which I really don't care about. <laughs> I'm going home, and I'm drinking every night, and I'm smoking cigarettes, and I'm going to bed at 2 a.m., and I'm waking up, and I'm repeating the process and working till 10, and then coming home, and then I've got the weekends where really all I was doing was going to work during the day going straight to the bar to meet with my work friends at around five or six. And then I'd be out until two or three. And then I'd wake up the next day hungover and repeat the process. And then I'd go into my work week. And then I did that for about nine months to a year. Yeah, it was really bad. And so when all of that fell apart under me, what I was left with was I'm just unhappy and nothing that I'm doing, even though I'm living in a really nice loft apartment in the gas lamp overlooking the city, even though I was making a six-figure salary, even though I was director level at, at the age of 27. That's, those were the moments that have really defined kind of, okay, well, what are the changes that I'm going to make? And uh, that's where I started meeting people like Sherry, like my friend, Lauren Pabir, and Ashley check and Angela Moroni, and, um, you know, those, those cast of characters, you know, um, and Brogan, and, uh, you know, others who have inspired me along my journey. And that's where I started to rethink, okay, well, what are my goals? What, and what am I trying to do in this life? And so those are kind of some of the Defining moments and some of the emotions and kind of the roller coaster that I had been on um, to lead me to where I am today.
1: Love it. Oh, yeah. Either. Okay. <laughs> That's um, amazing.
0: Yeah. yeah um, it is pretty amazing. And I don't give myself enough credit sometimes. And I'm going to do that on this podcast. I friendly. love it. Yes. Um, but yeah, it, it's funny because I now very much have two completely separate lives, and it's it's almost interesting how um, <laughs> this mindset mindset shift coincides with when I started growing my beard and my hair. It's funny because I have these friends from my past life, and I'm comfortable saying it's my past life. Not that I don't value what I've achieved back then, but you know those friends who recognize me as that kind of like very driven, motivated, like money and power hungry individual who was like grinding away every day and um, you know doing very good work and climbing the ladder quickly and um, working for you know some of the best companies in the industry, that cohort of people who know me through those values. And now I have a cohort of people who look at me and I tell these stories and they say, there's no fucking way that you were that person. And I call my blog, if you will, Diary of an Asshole, because I was a huge asshole. I mean, I really was. And it's almost funny how I've had conversations with my now boss who says, you know what, Like, you don't contribute a lot in meetings or you're often silent. and and while for many, it may seem that I'm not contributing or I'm not paying attention or, you know, I'm not trying to add value. For me, I'm trying to listen because I spent the better part of a decade being the loudest person in the room.
1: Wow. <laughs>
0: and so it's funny to hear that feedback now and we can have the conversation about overcorrecting again. But yeah, it's, it's hilarious because I do spend a lot of time in meetings where I, you know, close my laptop and, you know, and I'll sit there and I'll just observe and listen to everyone, what everyone's Trying to say. And before I speak, I take a breath and I really think, is this contributing to the situation or am I just speaking? Because I did that a lot, right? And there were many situations, and I think a lot of people go through this too, where they think their opinions are so important that you're willing to just say it so that other people know that you have an opinion. Or you try to say something intelligent, regardless of whether or not it's relevant to the situation or if it's contributing to the conversation. Just so you know that people know that you're knowledgeable. (laughs) Right. And for many, and for myself, it got to the point where it was so bad that I recognized what I was doing. I was incredibly self-aware, but I would still do it. I would even be mid-sentence and think, you know what, this is actually contributing nothing and people think I'm being a dick right now, but I continued speaking. That's a disease. There's something wrong with that. (laughs) When you're at that point and you're still doing that. And so that's why I call my journey diary of an asshole, I I try to tell these stories. And and I also write very infrequently. It's because when I write, I want to write when there is something that I can say that will provide value to people. I want people to be able to take something away from that and to be able to say, you know what, I was thinking the same exact thing. And I'm glad that you said that. And it's amazing how when you start putting yourself out there and writing about things you're thinking about, and, um, you know, your lessons learned, how many people will reach out and say, you know what, I'm going through that exact same thing right now. Or I went through that exact same thing months ago and I wish I'd read this or, you know, that kind of feedback. It's really incredible how many people are struggling with the same issues, but it's hard to find that common ground because a lot of these topics are taboo or they don't make sense or, you know, quitting is just such a harsh thing to, to wrap your brain around. So that's Diary of an Asshole. That's why it, that's my past life is how I consider myself an asshole. And um, this journey is all about how I've gotten to where I am today and, and also where I'm going.
1: That's awesome. I wondered why it was called that. So thanks for the explanation. I'm like, Eugene, an asshole. (laughs) As as a person who's only met you in your current life. Sure, right. But I had that exact same feeling when I read your most recent post. And that's part of why I wanted you to come on is Mm -hmm. because I'm also from the Midwest. And I have a lot of what I love you, you call them societal metrics. Mm -hmm. So like the societal metrics of success, it's not that you even choose to abide by them. It's just ingrained. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, you didn't choose to believe the sky was blue. You just grew up. That was how it is, you know, right. And so much so that no matter what kind of, you know, professional success or even hobby success or whatever I have, mm-hmm. I've never gone to like a class reunion because I'm not married, right. you know, yeah, like true. that's the mm-hmm. Southern Illinois societal yeah. metric of success or in my head it is, mm-hmm. you know, they might be looking at me like, oh, I I'd, I'd love Lynn Marie's life in sure. Southern California, <laughs> but yeah. I'm like, not married, not going, you know, yeah, too sure. embarrassed to show my face at mm-hmm. that. And so that's why I really enjoyed reading that. And Like you just said, so many of us relate to so many of everybody else's quits. You know, yeah, right. people, especially anybody who's listening to this is probably on some self development journey.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we've most realized, oh man, I've lived my life according to somebody else's expectations or society's expectations or fear of what my parents are going to say, or, you know, all these different things. So it's great when somebody else finally expresses, like you said, what everybody else is going through. Mm-hmm. So you don't re- you realize you're not so alone. For those of you listening, you know, I love that you've been so open with us because You lead a giant group of, how many people are there in in November Project? Yeah, I mean, we can get about
0: 150, 175 people working.
1: Yeah. And so that's a lot of people who look up to you. And Mm -hmm. it's great to share your story and have them think, because, you know, I'm one of the people like, Eugene is in great shape. I can't imagine he's ever had a cigarette in his life. You know, like, he's a great runner, this and that. He's the most fit person I know. For you to be, let's say, vulnerable enough to, you know, share Mm -hmm. your story and express what everybody else has felt at some point in time. Mm -hmm. You know, why am I here? What? why these goals aren't working, You know, et cetera. Everybody has their circumstances mm-hmm. and we're all walking around just trying to improve every day, essentially. Yeah, totally. One last question. Yeah, I'll sure. So I'll let you go. Um, thank you for everything you've shared, by the way. Mm-hmm. You said near the beginning of the talk that mm-hmm. you're at your happiest point ever. Mm-hmm. And then you said the old you, mm-hmm. you, know, you were miserable at some point, somewhere around, somewhere around moving to San Diego. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What kinds of things helped in the transition mm-hmm. what brought you from that place of misery to this happiest place you
0: are now yeah um i would say the single biggest thing is surrounding yourself with people who are building you up and are positive i've started to cut more negative people out of my life not in the sense that like hey you know we're done now i, I don't want to know you i interact with them less i'll unfollow them on social media or i'll just stop liking their stuff so that they you know get out of my newsfeed or Um, You know, I just won't talk to them as frequently, right? I think that's the single biggest thing is finding a group of people who are building you up and um, who are encouraging you and supporting you. And I can't speak enough to the value of of having that. But then another huge, huge, huge factor is self-love. I mean, I can't tell you how important that is because having people around you who are supporting you is great, but you need to ultimately be able to support yourself. And that's one area where learning to be confident in myself, not caring about others' opinions and... Um, being comfortable where I am making decisions I do without caring about like what other people may think of that and just being comfortable spending time with myself and um, encouraging myself knowing that I'm doing great things has been incredibly important and I think that's where I'm okay not being in a relationship I'm someone who's always like strived to be in a relationship and then I got into a relationship for three years and, and it was a great relationship it was good but I'm much happier not being in a relationship right now because I can focus my energy on those passions I have. And um, I don't need that validation in having someone else. And it's helped me also kind of forge my current relationships with my friends, because now I'm only looking for people who are adding value to my life, not someone who is filling a void. And And I think that's incredibly important. When you are whole, you get so much more out of relationships and so much more out of just your every day than you would if you had some insecurities or were filling some voids in your life or in your heart or, or where you're lacking some of that self-love. And so I think that's that's one of the things that has contributed um, tremendously to, to where I am today. Filling your time with purpose I think one of the biggest reasons why I was so unhappy was I was spending a lot of time, you know, drinking and smoking. And, and then I would wake up hungover, and all I would do is sit around on my couch and like spend beautiful days in my apartment getting over this hangover. And I'm, and I'm just thinking, you, you're constantly in the state of like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? What am I doing with this time? I didn't see the sunshine. I live in a beautiful place like San Diego. So those are moments where it's helped define how I'm spending my time. And so filling your, your time with purpose, I think, is incredibly um, making sure that every minute you're spending is towards an end that's going to fulfill you. And so these days, you know, when I'm sitting around and doing nothing, it's because I need that downtime to recharge. Or if I am staying in all day, it's because I'm at my computer working on projects that I'm passionate about. And so having that more purpose driven time is incredibly important.
1: And did you find any increase in happiness, any shift when you let go of those goals that weren't in alignment with? what you felt your passion was?
0: I think I'm still working towards that. Short answer is yes, for sure. I mean, when I quit my first job because that was getting me towards the old goals that I had, but um, I was very unhappy doing what I was doing. And those things that I had previously enjoyed in my past life weren't lighting me up anymore. And that's because my priorities had shifted. I opened my eyes to different opportunities and things that made me happy. Um, But yeah, again, I mean, I'm learning every single moment.
1: Well, I appreciate you spending some of that time with us. Yeah, of course. I really appreciate everything you've shared with us. And from A to Z, we've got we've covered a lot and it's been amazing. There's a lot in your (laughs) story. Oh, seriously, there's so much in your story. And I think a lot all the people that see you as their leader will have a lot to identify with and will feel even an increased sense of connection because there's probably a lot that everybody else can identify with too.
0: Appreciate you having me. Thank you. Awesome. That's great.
1: Okay, until next time, everyone. Happy quitting. Once again everyone for joining us today on quit happens if you'd like to find out more please visit my website at quittingbydesign.com or quitting by design on facebook or quitting by design on instagram or L. Morsky on twitter the one outlier anyway thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time